G'day guys. Now before we dive into today's show, I have a huge announcement to make. Now as you all know, I've been working on my brand new book called Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And I am super pumped to announce that it is now live on my website. It is live on Amazon. So please jump over to readgoosens.com forward slash books and grab a copy today. All proceeds from the sale of this book goes to charity. So remember to jump over to read goosens.com forward slash books and get your hands on one today. Now back into the show. We'll plan everything else in our life, but we don't think about planning for taxes. Taxes just kind of happen because it's, it's that almost that taboo. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to acknowledge it until it slaps them at tax time. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Play but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel so head over to reedgoosens.com click on the video link and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right enough out of me let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Diane Gardner, the expert tax coach. Diane specializes in helping entrepreneurs and business owners when moving into the seven-figure income bracket. Often when this occurs, businesses experience higher expenses, cash flow issues, and higher tax brackets. Ultimately, that changes the game for most of these people and a new tax plan is needed and that is where Diane comes in. Diane is a certified tax coach. She's a Quilly Award recipient and a best-selling author whose expert planning approach has saved her clients over $3 million in taxes. I'm really pumped and excited to have her on the show, but enough out of me. Let's get her out of here. G'day, Diane. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, Reed. Thank you so much for having me on your program. My pleasure. I was really intrigued when um, when someone reached out to me to get you on my show because I actually haven't done the topic of since the new tax changes have come in, into play under Trump, you know, what does that mean for the investing sphere here in the United States? And, and I want to get into that in a little bit. But before we do, can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? 
Well, after the normal like babysitting jobs, I got really creative and my neighbor down the road was a driver's ed teacher. So he paid me to grade all of his driver's ed tests before I was old enough to get a driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> With the caveat that I wouldn't memorize the answers when it came time for me to take his class. <laughs> and did you memorize those answers? No, I did it, but I aced his test. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's always funny to hear different entrepreneurs in the way in which you make money as a kid because you've got to you know, make that pocket change to save for that bike or the weekend away with girlfriends or boyfriends. So um, awesome stuff. So, so now walk me through your background, where you went to school, how do you got to where you are today? Well, I went to school down in California. I'm an Idaho native, went to school in California, made the mistake of moving around to several different schools. Big mistake because it cost me an extra year of school. So finally got my accounting degree, went to work for a traditional accounting firm, worked for a couple of different ones, kind of got my, we my feet wet in the industry, and then decided, like everybody else, I could do it better. So went out on my own, had my own firm. We had a major earthquake where I was living in 1989 and leveled over half of our town. In that process, I ended up selling my business because the cash totally dried up and I didn't have enough capital behind me to hold on And for the three or four years it took to get everything up and going again. So then I came home to Idaho, started over again, and now I have the privilege of getting to work nationwide with very successful entrepreneurs and help them save taxes. So completely awesome. different than the business I had in California. It, was it the Northridge earthquake? <clears throat> no, it was the one, it was actually centered in Santa Cruz, but it's the one that leveled the freeway systems outside of San Francisco and Oakland, kind of up through that area. But it was really centered in Santa Cruz where it made just humongous, just chasms in the road. And um, you looked at our town, well, I was in Hollister at the time, and about maybe half of the buildings were still standing. It was wow. very devastating. Wow. Wow. We all, I'm, uh, my background's in structural engineering. And when I first moved to California, just how much, how strict the code is here in terms of, you know, earthquake proofing and, and coming from Australia where we don't have as many earthquakes. New Zealand does, just our neighbours across the pond. Um, but, but living here in, in Southern California, when I was an engineer with my engineer hat on, it was, it's a different ball game in terms of having, you know, trying to design a building. But um, we're, not, we're not here to talk about designing buildings. We're here to talk about taxes. So... Talk me through um, the new tax you know, laws that have come into place. And, and it maybe you need to quote me, and maybe for the people who are listening, can you maybe just give a quick summary of what came into place and when it came into place just recently? Okay. There was a lot of changes that most people saw or felt on their income tax returns that either have been filed or will be filed if they were extended. Some of the major changes... Um, I'm going to kind of start at the top and work my way down. In the corporate world, which would be C corporations, their tax rate went from 35% on up down to 21%. So anyone operating at a C corp level was really thrilled to get that lower tax rate. For those of us who don't operate in a C corp, which is most of small businesses in America, most of them are S corps or their partnerships or their LLCs or sole proprietorships they were able to take advantage of a new qualified business income deduction, which to super oversimplify it, you took the net profit of the business and you multiplied it times 20% and dropped a new deduction on your income tax return. 
So I had clients that saved a few hundred dollars on that deduction all the way to thousands and thousands of dollars from that deduction. Brand new, um, they were a little surprised. Even though I had, been, had spent months educating them, they were still a little bit surprised that it actually did what I had told them it was going to do. Because they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> so it was nice when it happened. In addition to that, we had some lower income tax rates. So that combination made some large differences in my business community. Maybe not so much in somebody who was just a W-2, but those who had businesses, rental properties, that type of thing. We made some pretty big swings of the needle as far as their liability went, just with those couple of strategies right there. So just to, just to summarize, a, 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 a approximately a 20% reduction on the income for someone who owns a property in an LLC or a partnership, correct? Well, potential, yes. And, and the good part is in the new tax law is it's very real estate friendly. When it first came out, the whole buzz was that it was only going to be on traditional type businesses and the real estate community wasn't going to be able to reap this benefit. After we got some clarification from the IRS, as long as we could show that that rental, I'm going to call it business with air quotes, could, is being operated like a business, then it was uh, acceptable to go ahead and take that, de that deduction. So now if you're involved in a syndicate or something like that where you're not hands-on day-to-day operations, it probably doesn't qualify. But if you own your office building that your business is located in and you are doing everything from sweeping the, you know, the parking lot to picking up trash to collecting your own rent, paying your own bills, that type of thing, we can show that that qualifies as a business. Where before, the definition of rental was everything was passive. Right. Right. So and, and then that you also, was huge. The, also, the, the proving that you're an active investor as well. I know there's a whole mm -hmm. uh, issue around the IRS code, not issue, uh, a clause in the IRS code that you can define yourself as a professional uh, real estate investor, correct? You bet. Yes. Yeah. By, yeah. by jumping through a certain number of hoops. But we don't even have to jump through all those hoops to make the new QBI deduction qualify. Interesting. Interesting. Which was super amazing that they, that they did that. And so, a lot of very happy clients. <laughs> I could imagine. I could imagine. But, but so, talk me through why, say, the C Corps got that blanket 35% reduction to 21, and yet everything else, everything outside of C Corp, other, other entity structures were excluded um, in that decision. Is there any, do you know of, of why it was excluded? I do, yeah. Um, a C Corp is different than a pass-through entity, which would be your S-Corp, your partnerships, your sole proprietors, any of those where the income passes through to the personal return and the tax is paid there. A C-Corp stands alone and pays its own tax. So when they made that tax change rate, they were trying to help us become more competitive in the overall global community. And we had one of the highest tax rates out there. So when they did that, they realized they had to do something for all the other businesses because I don't know the statistics, but my guess is for, for every 10 businesses, you know, one or two might be a C-Corp and all the rest are something else. Right. And, and so they, that's when that whole new qualified business income deduction came in to kind of equalize those rates. And equalize the playing field, I, I could, I could right. imagine. Yeah. yeah. So from a, you know, someone who's listening to this podcast, you know, and a lot, I've had other tax professionals and legal professionals come on board to talk about entity structuring. Um, from a tax liability point of view, does it make sense to switch from an LLC to a, 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 a C-Corp? 
uh, at this stage, it, you know, what, what sort of advice from a, from a ta- taxation point of view um, would you give to a business owner who, who's like, oh, well, hang on, they've got all this tax savings over here. I don't know if I'm going to realise as much of that uh, staying in the current entity form that I have today. Right. And my answer is the traditional accountant's answer is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> then we go and we do an entity analysis. Yep. And that entity analysis includes running a bunch of numbers. What happens if we keep you the same, use the new QBI deduction versus if we flipped you over into a C-Corp? If we're holding real estate um, properties within it, there's a lot of reasons not to become a C-Corp because of the double taxation, where if we keep them in a pass-through entity, that doesn't happen. So it's a whole run the analysis before sure. I can tell you yes or no. Yeah, no, I threw, it was a bit of a curveball. I knew that was probably going to be the answer, but I just wanted to, you know, I'm sure a lot of folks out there are thinking about this. And, and I guess the, the biggest piece of advice is that go and talk to your tax professional uh, about yeah. it. So, yeah, uh, I, but, that's, but that's why we have you on the show today, right? right? <laughs> talk all about this. And I did have several of my clients come running up. You know, I think we need to change. And we ran the numbers out and said, nope, just stay put. You'll get a bigger deduction staying put than slipping over there for that tax rate. That's that's good to know. And I think a lot of people around any sort of changes in taxation or entity structuring or anything like that get a bit, you know, cold feet or nervousness and everything sort of a, a mad rush to, to understand uh, what what their liability is, but uh, it's good to hear that you've also advised people just to stay put because it doesn't doesn't make sense. Um, but I know you're really focused in on the seven-figure income bracket and and sort of moving away from, we'll call it a smaller business into a larger business. You know, you're earning seven figures, even if you're an individual, It's that's a lot of bloody money. So how do you, or you know, what are the different tax strategies that are now and liabilities, I should should add, that now um, become apparent when you start earning that much money? Well, first of all, we need to look at, there is a difference between how much you earn and how much you net. Because sometimes people get hung up, oh, I'm a seven-figure whatever, but their net is pretty small. So just a little (laughs) clarifying there. Um, If the net is growing in addition to the gross, which in theory it should, and we have enough money that we can now do some real tight planning. Then we start looking at, have we maxed out the various retirement options? Because a lot of times they started out in a smaller retirement option, but as the business took off and grew, they, they didn't really come back and do the analysis required to say, should we have moved from whether it was a SEP or a simple into some sort of a 401k, maybe even to even a defined benefit plan. Those kinds of things that is a full analysis that should be done as that business grows. And that's what you'd mean by defining a simple retirement, just, just, to, just to clarify for people who might have lost. Right, yeah. So, so a lot of times when a business says, I want to put a retirement plan in place, they'll start with maybe a SEP because they don't have any employees and so they can contribute up to 25% of their self-employment income into something simple like a SEP. It's not a true qualified plan. So it doesn't have the overhead requirements that qualified plans have. Or they'll start out with a simple plan, which is a simple IRA, and they can contribute up to, I think it's about 13000 this year. And then the, their own company can match it. But what you do for one, you have to do for all. So you can't really stack it in your own favor in a simple. So then they might move up the ladder to some sort of a 401k. 
where some of the safe harbor type 401ks allow you to put quite a bit more in for yourself than you have to put in for your, your employees. And then if that isn't giving them the power they need, they can look more into the defined benefit plans, which allow you to put a whole lot more away. So we just call these steps up the ladder, depending <laughs> on where they're at. And, but doing a full analysis, because what fit yesterday may not fit today. Right. Right. And, and, and that's what most businesses experience, right? With the, with the growth. And particularly if you're going from a six figure business or, you know, five figure business, whatever, wherever you've started, and now you're in, you know, a different ballpark, it's, uh, it take, it makes sense to take, you know, take pause and go to approach people like yourself and say, what is really now the new strategy moving forward? Because in my old way of thinking when it was just myself, as an employee, my sole, you know, self-employment now, I've got maybe three or four employees. Maybe I need to think a little bit more about uh, the different benefits and how um, that would benefit not only my employees, but also myself as well as the business owner to, to, to keep more of that um, income, correct? Yeah. What I see quite often is in the process of growing that business, the head goes down and they just do the stuff or whatever it takes to grow the business. And then all of a sudden they hit one of those tax years where their tax liability was a major ouch. Yep. And it's like we didn't see that coming because they were so focused on doing what they were told to do to grow this business. And that's when it starts becoming super important to let's sit down, let's develop a whole plan that's going to work over the next three to five years and look at all these different aspects. Interesting. So what sort of advice do you have for people right now who's sitting here listening to it? They may be in the six figure business and it's maybe just themselves, you know, and I, I'm, I'm definitely in that bracket right now. It's, I'm a, you know, I have a few 1099 employees. Um, what do you need to do today in order to prepare yourself for tomorrow? And, and maybe it's just an education piece. Um, but, but are there specific things that you could start thinking about? Maybe you could give it a little bit more lo- uh, information on right now of, where you, if you are heading towards that seven figures, what do I need to start preparing for um, in order to make that transition transition smooth when it comes time? I think first of all is knowing that there's a need to do some planning because we'll plan everything else in our life, but we don't think about planning for taxes. Taxes just kind of happen because it's, it's that almost that taboo. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to acknowledge it until it slaps them at tax time. And so if we can change the mindset to where this is something we're looking forward to, you're meeting with your trusted advisor, whether it's quarterly or semi-annual, monthly, depending on the business and its growth, and you're meeting with that trusted advisor, you're staying ahead of the tax game, you're putting, you've put together a plan, and then we just kind of tweak it as the business grows. And I think that's probably the biggest educational piece out there that I see when I'm talking to businesses and successful entrepreneurs is the whole planning thing. I can plan my way to a lower tax liability. I didn't know that was even available. Right. Interesting. Yeah. An eye-opening thought for people. It's it's very eye-opening. And and I think it's also, but again, it boils down to education. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so people, you know, sort of sticking their head in the sand (laughs) and thinking that it doesn't matter. And then come tax time, they're, they're saying, oh, gosh. I've got to yeah. pay a lot in taxes. That um, it'll just go away somehow. <laughs> yeah, wave the magic wand and I'll send it to my tax accountant and they'll, they'll make it happen, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll do something with their magic wand and it'll just go away. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and I think the, the big thing that you're trying to say is that take more of an active role as you are growing a business to not be that head in the sand type of person. Uh, actively know what you need to be doing 
and, and consistently having follows up with, with your advisors to keep ahead of you know, the changes that are occurring, occurring, which are in real time. So you know what to do and steer the ship in the right way, right? You bet. Yes. Yeah. Being proactive, not reactive. Exactly. Um, so how do I go about altering my tax bracket uh, and mitigate overpaying for taxes when I do start earning a little bit more money? Well, there's lots of other tax strategies out there that people can invest in. There's strategies like a captive insurance company, which allows you to basically fund your own insurance company. We all, when look, when you come into a big city and you look at the biggest, most beautiful buildings out there and who do they belong to? Insurance companies. Insurance companies. So you know there's tons of profit in that industry. Well, what if you were paying yourself for your own insurance company? Hmm. So how, how does that actually, like just saying that, maybe break it down. And like, So if I earn a certain amount of money, do, do I put the surplus cash into this particular vehicle? What it does is you set up a separate corporation and it becomes part of a pool of other small businesses who are doing the same type of thing. And instead of buying your liability insurance from your local insurance broker, you're buying it from your own insurance company. So there's several different things that can be included in this pool of insurance that you're paying because we have to show the IRS that this was not just a tax move. This was a liability move. So we're now able to not only insure for just normal liability, but we can add things like um, loss of business. We can add things that have to do with the economy in there that maybe we couldn't afford to insure otherwise. But now because we're paying ourselves, we can afford to insure it. And there's a whole laundry list of things in there, um, cyber insurances and just all these types of things that some of us would really love to have. But if we did that, our insurance payment would be sky high with the local insurance agent. So we put together this insurance company. It actually gets licensed and bonded and it has a third party administrator and everything so that we don't have to learn how to do insurance ourselves. We let them take care of that part and we're able to pay ourselves. Well, that insurance company can now take the excess and invest it. And what's the perfect thing to invest it in? Properties. And so it's a nice way to plan out some retirement type investments through this insurance company. Can you, do you know, maybe you don't know this question that answers this question. If I own a large portfolio of real estate, can I come go and create my own um, liability insurance on the portfolio? Possibly I would have to, get a little more information and run it by the company that I use for the, my captives. Right. Because it's, you know, I, I personally, and a lot of people listening to this, this, this podcast, I have, you know, many, many I have thousands of units that I own and I pay a lot in, you know, hail damage and, you know, Best. insurance on, you know, the what ifs of a storm blows through, you know, and all this is huge excess in these and like I'm paying, you know, eighty ninety thousand $90,000 a year per property. It's a lot right, of money. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you slap on top of a, you know, a six figure, you know, deductible. Um, mm -hmm. So how, like, is there any opportunity for me as a business owner to, to go out and create even maybe with some, some of my mates who own other, you know, another mm -hmm. thousand units? I would say potentially it would be something I would need to get a little more information, what sure. some of your entity structures and that kind of stuff. Um, and then I would run it past the scenario, past the company I work with and, we would have an answer fairly quickly, but I would say potentially. Yeah, and I guess it goes back. Liability. 
<laughs> what's, what's, so repeat that. Oh, you're insuring for a lot of liability. Right. And so that's one of the key pieces is we have to show that there is really liability out there, that we can't just be fabricating liability to insure. Sure, sure. sure. No, that's, no it's, it's very interesting. But it could also go back to the point that you made earlier, which was people approach you and say, hey, do I need to change to a C-Corp? And you're like, ah, stay where you are. <laughs> you know, you, it might be the same thing with the insurance, that the fact that you're not big enough to, you know, command a, to go and create your own insurance company. But it's interesting that you bring that up because it's just another way of thinking. And again, for myself, I literally just was, oh, what about if I did that to mine? So very awesome in in, in saying that. Um, I know a lot of people, uh, and it goes back to the sort of the stigma of of taxation and, you know, stick your head in the sand. Um, And and I don't personally, like my dad, my, 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 my parents have had the same tax person, you know, in Australia, but same idea for years. They, they, I think their, grand, their parents had the same tax person. How do you know when you've outgrown your tax person and you need to go and correct, get someone new? I get asked that question all the time. So, you know, because we're on Zoom, we can see each other and I'm trying not to laugh because I hear that <laughs> constantly. <laughs> Some of the danger signs that you've outgrown your accountant is that they're not staying in contact with you. They're not answering your questions. They're kind of avoiding the issue because maybe you've grown to the point that they don't know how to handle you now that you're a bigger business. Another good point is, are they entrepreneurial? You are. Are they? And if they're not an entrepreneurial accountant, they're not going to get what you're trying to do is you're trying to get from that five-figure business to a six and on up to a seven. And they're they're not going to be tracking along with you, giving you ideas, giving you advice, helping you. Hey, here's an article I saw that's thought I'd pass it on to you. You know, they're not going to be doing that kind of stuff because they're not entrepreneurial themselves. And unfortunately, the majority of accountants out there are not. They're great at recording history. They'll get the right numbers in the right boxes. They'll file it on time for you and they'll do a wonderful job of that. But that's all the further they go. So, so what sort of advice... When you say entrepreneurial, is it just, uh, you know, a gut feeling that you get when you're, when you're quizzing these tax accountants um, uh, to, to say, well, that you suit me because you're entrepreneurial? Or is it more that they're bringing ideas to the table, which is what you want to see as an entrepreneurial business owner yourself to say, hey, this person might be worth their weight in gold here because they're, they're telling me stuff that I had no idea about? Right. Yes, they are bringing ideas to the table. They're listening to podcasts. They're reading business books. They're a part of a mastermind group. They're doing these things that other business owners are doing. Mm. When Mm. I'm in a room of accountants outside of my peeps that I hang out with, (laughs) I'm like the only one in the room talking about this stuff. And they're looking at me like, what planet is she from? (laughs) So I don't hang out with those accountants. I go hang out with my tax planning buddies. Right. You know, we light up a room when we get together. We have a mastermind group that meets um, across the U.S. periodically over the year. We light up that room, and, and it's great, the ideas that, that get to go, and we, and we all laugh. It's like we wouldn't be having these conversations with the majority of accountants. <laughs> you know, accountants definitely have a, a certain stigma, but it sounds like yeah. you're, you're trying to buck that stigma, but that's, that's, that's awesome. So I guess with, with, everything, with all that's changing, like any good business owner, you're right, like, even you and yourself and for your personal business, you'd have to be keeping your finger on the pulse and attending these masterminds so you can then advise your entrepreneurial clients and, and, and be that go-to gal who is you know, sought after because you do bring other ideas to the table. I think that's really important and something um, great that you're doing on a consistent basis. How often do you guys meet to, uh, to keep fresh? 
Well, we meet three times a year, mainly because tax season takes up four months of our year. So we usually meet in May, October, and in January. But it's cool that we fly to different places every time, mm-hmm. and we get to meet up. And then we are all involved in other groups, so we see each other periodically throughout the year. But we meet on Zoom in between. Once a month, we meet on Zoom. Uh, we have a private Facebook group, so we can toss ideas around with each other, and it's it's made tax planning so much nicer because you don't have to do it all by myself. If you, if you have a situation that I've never handled before, I reach out to my group that I belong to and somebody in that group will have come across that. And it really expands my brain power. That's, that's awesome. And I think that the power of a network is just, that's what, you know, your net worth is, uh, you know, derived from your network. And it, it comes truly down to how people can help you. They support you. You don't have an answer to that question. Well, hang on, I'm going to go find out and figure it out and get back to my client and, and in order to, for them to be happy and satisfied with the service that you provide. Um, one thing I was just looking at your, your list of uh, questions that you sent me through. You're saying, how, how can I pay 80K instead of 280K? There's an example here in tax that can free me up to hire, grow, and alleviate stress. How, how, how do I do that? You do that by doing some tax planning. <laughs> and the answer is different for every business. Sure. You know, one business, it might be strategy A. The next business, it might be A, B, and C. It just depends for every business, but it's that getting ahead of it doing the planning, setting up that time to talk. I know in my own business, I always offer a free analysis where I like to take a look at your last couple years tax returns. And then we hop on a Zoom call and I'll tell you what I see. Sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it's really bad. Um, Sometimes I'm able to tell somebody, you're doing an awesome job. Keep doing what you're doing. And when you move to the next level, then let's have the conversation. Right. Because there might not be that level just yet to take take advantage right. of, of the tools that you have to offer, right? Right. Yeah. So I get to come along and just be an, an addition to their financial team. I'm not trying to replace the accountant, but in addition to the financial team. Interesting. Interesting. So, well, I, yeah, I love nice it. Nice place to be. <laughs> um, what, what, what are you doing as an accountant that can cost thousands of dollars? I know that I personally pay uh, my bookkeeper, um, and I, I have it set up per property for per apartment building, but I'm I'm paying you know two or three thousand dollars a month for bookkeeping and and end up being um, quite expensive. Like, how do I make sure that I'm keeping me and personally my business you know in check and I'm not overpaying for fees and stuff like that? That's where it's nice to have somebody come in and just give you a general oversight over everything. And I love it when I get the opportunity to get to do that because I have an unbiased view. Sometimes when we're a part of the business, we hold it differently than somebody else would see it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, you've seen that in a mastermind group. Somebody will say, well, why don't you just do this? And you're looking at it and going, well, how come I never thought of that? Because you're too <laughs> close to it. Right. So when you get somebody to come in and just take this overall view of everything, it's easier to have some strategy type conversations because we do enough of the bookkeeping, payroll, accounting, tax prep stuff that you've got a pretty well gut, you know, good gut feeling on how long it should take to do certain things, how much somebody should pay, what percentage should be allocated towards your accounting needs. And that gives you that nice little oversight. It gives you that peace of mind of knowing that, yeah, I'm within an acceptable range or, whoa, how come you're paying that much? Especially right. if this is all they're doing. And I see right. that quite often too. 
Yeah, because we've, we've, I've asked me and my business, my, to my business partner, the, the point of like, well, wow, if we've got, you know, five, six properties and we're paying this per month on each property, why don't we just go hire a full-time accountant ourselves, like, and give them the title of CFO? <laughs> like, that's the type of things we're thinking about right now because we're like, well, hang on, why pay a third party when, you know, we might not be as happy with that particular person with response times and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it is very interesting as I grow my own business that I'm starting to see these trends of why people bring on CFOs, why people bring it in-house because they get to that point where they're paying third parties too much. But but on the other hand, you've got other small solo entrepreneurs who can't afford that and they're looking for just a good bang for their buck and, and good quality of, of service um, to make sure that they're you know, not left with their pants hanging down when they come to uh, come to tax season, right? <laughs> right, right. And at some point, it does make sense to bring it in-house and hire that accountant-type person. But then you still want an independent third party's eyes looking at it because the business owner may not know enough to know if right. they're making good moves and they're doing things correctly. Yeah, I'm getting reports. Yeah, they look. Oh, good. I think, mm. but is it being done right? Mm. And so oh. that independent third party set of eyes, just looking at it on a quarterly basis as we have our strategy calls, that's kind of a nice way to, to get the blessing that yes, your bookkeeper or your accountant's doing it fine, whether it's an in-house or out, you know, out of house. And then now that we have these numbers, let's look at what we're going to do. Right. No, I think that's that's very wise advice for anyone who is thinking about that. And I think, you know, a lot of people listening to this show have property managers and uh, some of these property management companies, you know, I know our property management company has their own in-house tax team uh, or accounting team, I should say, and we have our third-party team look at it every month and and take care of the billables. And on a quarterly basis, we do a, we do an audit, and um, we we have to keep that because it helps our helps our investors' peace of mind. It helps our peace of mind because, as you just mentioned, I'm a business owner. I'm not necessarily a tax expert, and I don't like I I can read a P and L, but do I know? Uh, I know when they're overspending because it's over, over the budget, but does that mean I'm, they're doing the right thing? Are they, are they billing it to the right cost code? And my tax strategies maximized so I can maximize my returns for not only myself, but for my investors as well. So it's a very interesting stuff. Um, what is the biggest piece of advice? Maybe you already, I know you've already said it a couple of times, like tax planning, but besides tax planning, um, what is the biggest piece of advice you give to your clients uh, on a day-to-day basis now that we're in a new tax world uh, under the changes that Trump brought in. I think it was beginning of 2019, was it? Or 2018. 2018, 2018, yeah. Yeah. Biggest piece of advice. Um, I'm going to probably say don't be afraid of the IRS because I run across people all the time. It's like, are you sure we can do this? As long as the strategies are in the tax code, what I call IRS blessed and court tested, as long as your strategies fall into those categories, don't be afraid to use them. We've got um, chief justices that have said in the past that there's nothing wrong with minimizing your tax. That's perfectly legal. Now tax evasion, that's not. And there's a big difference there. But as long as you're using good solid strategies, you've dotted the I's and you've crossed the T's, go ahead and use them and take advantage of the various items in the tax code that are there to reward us for taking risk, reward us for the long hours we put in, reward us for putting our money out there on the line. Use those strategies. 
No, I like That's it. A long I, answer I, to your question. No, no, no. It's, it's a great answer because I think that is you, you're completely correct. So many people and across the world, you know, different whether you're investing here in America or back in Australia or New Zealand or you know even in Asia and China, like there's different government bodies and everyone seems to be scared of it. In Australia, it's called ATO, the Australian Tax Office. In the in the United States, it's the IRS. Um, and at the end of the day, I, I remember listening to someone say that. Most Western world countries have a tax code, and we're talking Western world developed countries, that are there to favour people who, what you just said, take risk and put money on the line and develop businesses and and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, um, the, the governments are not in the business of owning businesses. They're not in the business of owning real estate. They're in the business of governing. And so when you do go out and create a business and or create, invest in real estate, they're going to benefit it. You know, you're going to benefit from that because it's taking a burden off their shoulders, so to speak, to provide to the to the masses, whether it be housing or you know a, a specific business that provides you know, I don't know food or whatever it might be. But it was interesting when you start thinking about like that, it changes your total perspective on how you approach taxes. And I think that's uh, you, you sort of hit the nail on the head. I, I just wanted to summarize that because I'm trying to pull it all together because I do talk to a lot of different folks internationally and. I don't know the specific nuances of the Canadian code and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, if you approach it with that same sort of rose-tinted glasses that, hey, you, you, you're doing the right thing, you're creating a business, and in, you know, most governments want to reward you for that. So um, in, in the Western world, <laughs> I should right. say. Yeah, we don't, yeah, the rest, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about developing worlds, but in the Western world where um, you know, uh, we have an order of law and all that sort of stuff, it is, it is by and large um, benefits for, to own businesses and, and, and invest your money because that's what they want to do, to grow right. GDP, right? <laughs> right. Well, you think of all the jobs we create across the right. U.S. If right. it wasn't for us, these countries wouldn't be where they are because the people wouldn't be employed. Right, right. Well, the, it wasn't for the businesses. They wouldn't employ the people. Exactly, yeah. It's all about employment and, and that goes back to GDP growth and that goes back to economy growth and all that sort of stuff. And um, I know people talk till the, till the cows come home about the different GDP growth and analysing where we're headed and how's jobs this month and blah, blah, blah. But it, but it really does boil down to what you said before that as an entrepreneur, we've taken risk. So you've taken that risk. Don't be afraid to go and talk to someone who knows a little bit about the tax code in order for you to maximize those returns. I think that is uh, really important. Mate, so thank you, Diane, for coming on the show today. What, is your, what does uh, 2019 have in, in plan for you both personally and, and, uh, and with business-wise? Well, business-wise, I'm in the process of updating all my books. You can see some of them on the <laughs> shelf behind me because under the new tax code, they changed so many things. <laughs> And I was, I was ready to put them all out at the end of the year last year. And the IRS in the middle of December came out with a whole bunch of clarifications. And so I pulled them all back and went, nope, they're going to have to wait till after tax season. So we're in the process of picking book covers and all this kind of stuff again and getting ready to push all those back out. So we'll have completely newly updated for the newest tax code on them. And I know you are a best-selling author. Do you want to quickly run through? Are these books that you've already released in the past and you're re-releasing under the, for new tax, you know, clarifications and stuff like that? Right. Yeah. These are books that have, have been released over probably the last five years. Mm -hmm. And they're all getting a new facelift and a new update because there's some obsolete stuff in them now <laughs> that has been in the tax code forever and it's right. not there now. And so... So give a little plug. What sort of what, what books have you written? Where can people go and um, you know, get their hands on one of those books? The best place to find the books are on my website, which is www.taxcoachforyou.com. We use the number four. 
um, there they can just click on the tab. I think it says books and they can pick up books. We give, we give all my books away for free. We just ask for the help pay shipping and handling. Got it. That's my big business card is my books. Got it. Got it. What's your, what's the number one book you've got in your repertoire right now that you can recommend to people listening to the show to go and, you know, out of all the books you've written, oh, I've got to get this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite, probably all-time favorite is my Stop Overpaying Your Taxes book. This was real case studies from my own clients. Um, I changed their names in their industries so nobody could point out, you know, Dave or Mary or John or anything. But um, it was a joy to write that one because I got to relive some of the conversations and projects that we had done for clients over the years. So that one's also in the process of getting all new updated and having to go back and change those conversations now and make them new tax law. <laughs> so um, going back to that process. Other than that, that's probably was my all-time favorite. That one was a came from a mastermind group where our coach challenged us to write a book in 60 days. And we're all like, there's no way. We're working full-time. There's no way we can do this. And this was not just accountants. It was a general generic type mastermind group. And so finally, I raised my hand and said, okay, I'll do it. I have no idea how to write a book, but I'll do it. And I got it done in 60 days. And it was a major accomplishment to have done that. That's awesome. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. And to, and to be published, I, just on one side note, has your business grown through the publishings that you've done? It's grown because I use my books as a big business card. So when, when I meet somebody, um, I don't generally give them a business card. I give them a book because books don't get thrown away. Business cards do. And so I've got books all over the U.S. Um, anytime I travel, there's always books in my suitcase, books in my carry-on. And I leave a trail of books everywhere I go. And I laugh at how heavy my suitcases can be sometimes <laughs> because I've taken books to somebody. But it's been great because I've got clients all over the U.S. Oh, and so from time to time, I get to meet up with somebody. Maybe I've never met them face-to-face, -face, but I'll get to meet up with them because now I'm in that particular area. And it's, it's been a great way to grow my businesses through books and through my podcast interviews. That's awesome. Well, congratulations. I think that's a huge, you know, lesson that lot, not a lot of business owners, and we talk about tax strategies here, but in terms of growth strategies are great growth strategies to be a, a key person of influence, which is what you are in the, in the tax world and having publications to, to hand out as business cards just only maximizes and strengthens your status as, as that K KPI person in, in uh, the US tax law. So, Awesome stuff. Um, Diane, I know we're coming to the end of the show here. I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, but I do have, uh, like I asked all my guests, are you ready to give me your top five investing tips? Well, the first one's going to have to be stop overpaying your taxes. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? That's a good. That's good. I've actually got five. I've got five lightning uh, round questions that I want to ask you so you don't have to think of the questions. What is a daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? I'm part of a, a, a completely different set of tax pros who do tax planning and stuff. I have two groups I belong to. And every Monday we meet at 6 a.m. my time <laughs> and we set up our goals for the week. And that has really been an amazing group because of the accountability in it. Because if the next Monday, if you didn't finish what was on your list that you published to everybody, you have to say that in front of the group. Right. So it's a real good motivator to get things done. 
I think that's that is a really a good move. Like uh, accountability and, and writing down your to do list because um, you get it done right. That people are there to kick you kick in the butt to say, well, "Hang on, Diane, you didn't do that." <laughs> well, plus, it makes you more careful of instead of giving a to do list of fifty items on it, you're going to you're going to really take a hard look at that. Mm. And what's maybe the two or three that's going to move the needle this week? And that's, those are the ones you're going to commit to. That's that's really good advice. That's, that's wow. yeah. and I think we're all guilty of that myself included, just like having this massive to do list for the week, and you get four things done, <laughs> and then you feel like a failure. Right, right, you do. Versus you do. turn it around the top two or three things, and then I succeeded, and okay, what's my next couple of things I need to do? Right, right. Second question: Who's the most influential person in your career to date? Today is going to be probably one of my coaches. I coach with a couple of different people. So one of my coaches. One of your coaches, awesome yeah. stuff. Um, I know you have many tools in your business, both software and hardware related, your books. You know, you probably have a lot of software systems as well. But what is the number one tool, and it could be quite simple, um, uh, in your business that, that you use today that helps move the needle? Probably, I'd have to say it's Excel. Yep. I because I'm such a spreadsheetaholic that if you and I are having a conversation, I'm going to throw it on a spreadsheet to see how those numbers land. Yep. No, I think I, I love Excel. I'm an Excel junkie myself. And I think a lot of people need to be more comfortable with Excel. Not everyone is, but you know, it's, it's, it's not a, it is man's best friend besides the dog, <laughs> <laughs> particularly when it comes to business, right? Right. Uh, what has been in sort of, in, 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 in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career? And what did you learn from that failure? If you can sort of summarize it in one or two sentences. Developing a niche. I used to be a general accountant, just like all other accountants. But once I developed a niche and started fine tuning who my ideal client was, things changed dramatically in my business. Mm. Mm. Who, who, so, so define that for me right now. Who, who, what is your niche? My niche right now is businesses who have sales at least six figures, um, preferably high six figures, moving on into seven, who are paying enough tax that they're going out, and who are open-minded and eager to learn ways to change the outcome for their income tax. Interesting. Because there's a group that says, ouch, but they won't move, they won't budge. I can give them all the ideas and the tools offered to implement for them, and they still won't budge. Mm. So I want the group who, who says, that's cool. How do we do it? <laughs> and then we can take off and run. That's awesome. And that's awesome. And being that entrepreneurial spirit, I think we're talking about earlier is that sounds like you have it in spades um, from being that tax coach and that tax advisor for other entrepreneurs who want to think outside the box and think differently at a problem. So it's awesome stuff. One last time, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to get their hands on their book, your books, I should say, where do they go? Well, the best place for them to go is going to be www.taxcoachforyou.com. And we're using the number four, taxcoach number four, you.com forward slash invest in the U.S. Where we have this wonderful tax planning guide. We'll be happy to send them. And then if they want more information on books or if they'd like to have a conversation about it, the the analysis we were talking about, we'd love to have that with them and see if we can help anybody. 
Awesome. Well, I know I'm definitely going to jump on there and uh, give it a whirl. Uh, all those little tools I love and tidbits to give you a, a score <laughs> and see how you're doing. So awesome stuff. I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. One of the, you know, a couple of big things that I took away from today's show was obviously the number one was you got to be prepared to don't stick your head in the sand and you've got to start looking forward and, and be okay and don't be afraid of the IRS when it comes to your business and, and talk to people like yourself, Diane, about the strategies in which you can help grow your business. Uh, the second piece of advice is um, sort of coming on from, from number one is as you start out, because some people might not be at six figures just yet listening to this show, they're at five, but know that they need to be open-minded enough that when it does come time, they're going to need to change the strategies and be okay with changing those strategies. I think, you know, being malleable. And, and, and the third piece of advice is um, that I thought I took away from today's show, which was really important, um, was un- having a, a tax person in your in your court, on your team, that is not just the punch the clock t- type of tax person. There's someone who is entrepreneurial thinking. People listen to the show, most of them are entrepreneurs. So they want a tax accountant who is doing the same thing and uh, and going out and being not being afraid to get a third party audit on your taxes, um, you know, to keep them honest and make sure that you are maximizing or they are maximizing your taxes for you. Um, did I leave anything out? I think you summed that up really well. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Thank you for having me on the program. This was a lot of fun. Well, there you have another cracking interview with Diane Gardner. Please jump over to her website and get your hands on some of her books because they look bloody awesome. (laughs) And also remember, head over to her website and uh, go to slash uh, investing in the US where you can get download your copy of your tax planning guide and maybe you can set up a call with Diane and her team to see if you are doing the right thing. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So be bold, be brave. And remember, go give life a crack.